to the open side. Karim Bete. Hufflegal here for Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Bete. Back to Simon. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Good evening and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast is providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm Ando, with me are Mitch and Lockie, and we are honoured to have Waratah, Walru, and host of the new podcast, Life of Chance, M Chancellor with us. M, how are you? I am so good. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to have a new, co- a new host of a rugby podcast on the Australian landscape. How does that feel? Yeah, I'm really excited. I um, very much appreciate the the plug on your socials, guys, because, you know, it's always hard being a new a newbie on the scene and to feel welcome is, <laughs> is really important. Um, <laughs> I'm obviously learning very, very basic. I, I have YouTubed more than you can imagine about <laughs> podcasting because I came from zero knowledge completely. Like we're talking how do I convert an M4P into an mp3 file like we're literally youtubing everything it's fabulous yep. i'm loving it we still do a bunch of that right now in the background actually mitch does most of it so when he's not here that podcast just don't go out we're stuffed <laughs> so we, we feel your pain uh mitch how have you been how's your week been mate yeah pretty tired today getting up at 2am to support the wallabies this morning against georgia but uh glad to say we got the victory in um, first win off the back for the Wallabies in 2023 and first uh, victory in the rugby, the World Cup. So very uh, much looking forward to talking about that and all the rugby that's happened this weekend. Mate, it's been great fun. And Lockie, you just caught a plane back from somewhere. Where have you been? Down in Tassie, Mitch. Uh, it's been a big weekend. Obviously, the World Cup's on, but everyone wants to know about the Tassie Rugby Union final, which is front and centre of everyone's rugby brain. Uh, big shout out Tell to Launceston Tigers. Lonnie Tigers, they've gone back-to-back in the men's premiership. Um, Bernie had already wrapped up the Women's 7 Series earlier in the year and the reserve grade men's, uh, but it was the premiership final. And Lonnie absolutely dusted Torona, um, unfortunately for the Penguins boys, 62-19. to 19, Bit of a rinsing. Um, so they go back-to-back. And unlike Mitch, who sensibly went to bed and got up for Georgia, we decided to stay up and watch <laughs> all the games through to the end. So we're a little worse for wear, um, but certainly... <laughs> sit down and break it all down with um, you guys now. Yeah, very exciting. It's a nice it's nice to be able to have a chance to talk about a Wallabies win for the first time since November last year when we won against Wales at Principality Stadium. So casting your minds back nearly 12 months, it is scary to think that was the last time that the Wallabies actually had a win. But tonight we are going to be touching on three main points if you want to get things up, Mitch, on the slides or the prezzo for people. We are going to be talking about Wallabies versus Georgia before we then jump into a recap of pools A, B, and D, and we then have our Wallaroos update. But before we dive into that, I did just want to touch on the life of chance, M. So you started a new podcast. Can you give us a quick elevator pitch? Uh, what is it and why should we listen? So basically as a, I want to say in inverted commas, professional rugby player that has come back to Australia Having had my first little stint over in the UK, I am fun employed. I have basically minimal income coming in and I thought, why not? It's a great way to develop skills. I think my life is pretty fun. I have in, like involved, have been involved with a whole heap of really exciting people 
and the premise around my hashtag on Instagram is that it's the life of chance and that's that's the life I live and I'm asking a lot of questions around like when has someone taken a chance on you and it paid off or when have you taken a chance and it paid off so good conversations to to sort of I suppose, hopefully inspire the audience, but also selfishly to develop an ability to ask good questions and have good conversations. So hopefully it's a win-win and people come along for the journey, but if not, I'll just keep talking to one person and have my mum listen, but that's fine. Well, I think you've had at least three people in this podcast listen to it as well, or maybe four if you listen to your own podcast back like we do. But that's just to boost the numbers where we can. Um, I am sorry to tell you, Em, that if you're hoping in any way, shape or form that this is going to make you money, I don't think it is. We've been doing it for far too many years and, uh, yeah, still not breaking even. So (laughs) it is definitely for love, not money. It is not money. (laughs) <laughs> isn't that why i play rugby for love not money i'm not sure i, that's I think so <laughs> i think so um now the first episode you had sarah nagama on who was just awesome she's been on this pod a couple of times and she's an absolute legend are you able to tease maybe a couple of other guests that might be coming on in the future i haven't prepped you for this so we'll see if you can um i can just go out right and say i'm talking to peter breen um in my next episode who was the Wallaroos attack coach in 2019 to 2020, I think it was, 2021. And um, he's just signed up to do the um, Black Ferns XV, which is their sort of um, A-team equivalent. Um, And he also is the owner of Rugby Bricks. So he's a really cool guy to talk about detail, but a really good yarn. And I've got a few others lined up. I'm, I'm going to mix myself between players, coaches and people of influence, I think, at the moment in, in my world in the game. Um, and I am thinking, thanks to your post actually of, about the podcast, that season two is going to be a get to know your Wallaroo. So I'll do a little bit more of a detail cool. in a similar premise so of good. the life of chance questions, but an insight into the, the team is where I think is a really good opportunity because, as you said, we you know, it's an important place to be able to, we need our stories told and why not be told by one of the players? 100%. As much as we love to talk about women's rugby, we're three white dudes and uh, we, 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 <laughs> we aren't women and only one of us still plays rugby, I think. Um, actually, Lockie, have you retired now? You officially retired or are you still playing? Uh, my knee's telling me one thing, um, but I'm <laughs> determined to try and, uh, I think six straight, there's six straight in my future. All hey, right, you know what? Well, There's a long pre-season off season to think about it and you'll forget all the injuries and it'll be fine from <laughs> round one. Yeah, surgery's fine. We'll just do it again. Yep. Yep. Sounds brilliant. Well, I think with that kind of intro done, why don't we dive straight on into the Rugby World Cup action and we'll be starting with the Wallabies versus Georgia. So this game happened on Sunday morning, uh, 2 a.m. or 2.10 a.m. if you don't set your alarm properly and wake up a bit late and miss the first 10 minutes like I did. But either way, it was an incredible game, mostly because we won. Lockie, how exciting is it to talk about a Wallabies win for the first time in far too long? 
It's honestly been agonizing. I mean, and full credit to Em and the Wallaroos who've been banking wins through the year. We've beaten Fiji, yep. beaten USA. So thank you. We recognize that because it's unreal. Yep. But watching the boys getting a bit dusted through the TRC, let's be honest, was a hard watch. So coming out, and we talked on the pod last week, we need to go out and beat Georgia. We need to beat them well. Get that bonus point. Make a bit of a statement. I don't think it was as emphatic as it could have been. But we did everything we needed to. We've got the five points out of it. So I'm a very happy camper. Completely agree. Do you know it was the first time that we have won by 20 points or more since playing Uruguay in 2019 in the 2019 World Rugby World Cup? So that was the last time we won by 20 points or more. We've had two 19-point victories. That was against Georgia in 2019 and Argentina in 2021. So it just shows how much we struggle to put teams away. But Em, did you get up for the game or did you watch it on replay this morning? Uh, the housemates and I got up at, yes. well, actually we did, we did it. So my one of my housemates is, is English. So she got up for the 5 a.m. game and then woke us up as soon as that was finished and we watched the Australia game on replay. Efficiency Brilliant. for time, you know, you've got to have. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. So, what were your initial takeaways from the game uh, once once it had finished? I think the the fact that we could get ahead, stay ahead, huge for the confidence, huge for the emotional the emotional side of the game. Um, I think we we showed some really good promise in the way we attacked. We we offered good opportunity with some kicks that we don't normally see in terms of cross field. We played like a fast attacking game. We played, you know, around the corner, same way quite a lot. We really bought ourselves into the game. Um, unfortunately, I think second half, we kind of put the foot off the pedal a little bit mm. and let, and we saw that probably our bench has a little bit of work to do in terms of, well, we know that they're not as experienced, but the structure of our game fell away in that back end of the game where we saw Georgia come through with their majority of their points. And Georgian bench looked more conditioned than ours. And it's not a, I don't think it's a fitness problem. I think it's just a, a game knowledge situation. Yeah, yeah, really well said. Now, 35-15, winning by 20 points, Mitch, there's a level of confidence. We banked the five points. Were you happy at the end of the game? I think one of the comments I saw shortly after the game on Twitter was a criticism of how long it took the Wallabies to get the bonus point and that it took us until the 70th minute to score our fourth try to get that point. And the comparison is that we should be getting that hopefully in the first half. And we saw, as Em said before, they came out and they played a really strong attacking style in the first probably 20 minutes of that first half. We scored in the second minute to Pattaya, we then scored in the ninth minute to Mark Nwonganitawasi. We didn't score again until like the 50th minute of the game. So in that period there, we kind of took the the um the foot off the pedal a little bit we let georgia sort of dominate things a little bit more than we probably would have liked um we didn't we didn't take our opportunities as much as we were hoping for i, I personally think take mcdermott was that hia that he got was a yep. turning point in our momentum in the game up until that point we were looking dominant we were looking like we had georgia on the ropes we were taking our opportunities when nick white came on I kind of felt like the the shape fell away a little bit and it almost seemed like the Wallabies shifted to a different form of um, attack and were starting to do things a little bit differently, uh, probably earlier than they anticipated. Yeah, there seemed to be a point at which um, Nick White seemed to turn back to, in in a good way, he's he's an excellent box kicker most of the time, but 
the shorter kicks over the top when he seemed to be getting a little bit too much distance on him to make them contestable for Marky Mark um, to be, be able to run through and take. And he seemed to just be a, just that step slower in releasing the ball from the ruck than Tate was. Um, so it just seemed that maybe there was a different approach that Nick was bringing to the game than Tate. And that'll be a pretty significant thing uh, next week with Tate most likely out because of the HIA protocols. I believe he did fail the HIA, so 12 days mandatory stand down. So I, I wonder if we might even see. needed to do a HIA from the the symptom of that he was out cold initially. Yep. So yep. in that instance, okay. he didn't need to do one and he has the immediate full stand down period. So I wonder if we're going to see Isaac Feinswell Iwasa maybe even come into the starting role because he's the most like for like replacement for Tate McDermott. I think that would be an interesting thing to see. But um, we've we've had a lot from Eddie Jones recently talking um, within the media as he as he loves to do quite combatively with journalists, and he's been talking a bit about trying to destructure the attacking approach of the Wallabies. So you mentioned before quite a strong cross field kicking game. What did you see from the Wallabies that interested you from a tactical perspective? I really like the way Donaldson stepped into to the fullback role. I think he inserted himself in really good opportunities. I thought having um, uh, the winger. No, I'm going to need to ask Corabete. coming through and filling in at the back end of the game at um, mm. outside centre obviously changes the picture as well. I think we moved really well with our forwards. Like I, I like that we're playing with six and seven on the edges. So there's a bit more space. You've got dominant ball carries and good like space finders. I thought um, through um, Angus Bell, I thought Angus Bell had a really good game yeah. as he as he always does. And I think that Taniela Tupo stood up and put 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 his mark where he needed to. I, I think the fitness is still going to be a struggle, but if you're 140 kilos or <laughs> however big he is, I expect you not to be able to run as much and then you add the heat so it makes sense. But I thought um, – I actually thought Carter Gordon and um, Ben Donaldson were, were awesome. I thought they did a really great job at, at sort of controlling the, the kicking game because we know Georgia has a really good kicking game. and I think we counted that. There were some really nice low kicks that they were, they were kicking down, which makes them really hard to catch because they're coming at a different angle to what the traditional high balls are. So I thought they did really well from a kicking game, which opened up the opportunity to attack. But when we were attacking in broken play, we also weren't – like there weren't as many Hail Marys. Like there were some really close opportunities that we, we didn't that didn't pay off, which is okay because you don't want to throw it all out in the first game and everything pay off and the rugby gods be fully on your side. Like there were, there's opportunities there to grow and I think that's really important. But to be able to make breaks, make good decisions on when to hold onto a ball or pass an offload, like I think there's some really good promise moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And I think there were some great moments across the board from a lot of players like Talking about the kicking, we saw Marky Mark Nawanganitawase kick a couple of times and his early 50-22 was mm. instrumental in setting up the yeah. first try of the game. Um, we saw some really good moments later in the game from Carter Gordon with clearance kicking from behind the try line where he got it up to or beyond the halfway line from behind his own try line, which was absolutely immense. So although mm. there were a few points at the start where a couple of kicks didn't go right to hand, I think that there was some definite improvement there, which was really, really positive. So, uh, Mitch, starting with you, 
can you just take us through maybe one big moment and one big player from the game? And then, Lockie, I'll throw the same question over to you. A uh, big moment in the game for me, for mine was Taniel Tupo's intercept and runaway try that Donaldson ended up finishing off. I was pretty unimpressed in the lead up to that, that, the, that Georgia had made a massive line break and for all money looked like they were about to score a try when all of a sudden the ball finds itself in Taniel Tupo's breadbasket and then he's off again. Uh, a few uh, phases earlier, he kind of looked like he was cramping or, or a little bit gassed Taniel Tupo. So I was wondering if he was starting to get to that 50-minute mark of it's 35 degrees, I'm gassed, I'm, I'm really tired. But he pulled that one out of the bag and he just took off like we've, um, we've seen in 2017, 2018, Tupo is best. So uh, that, for mine, was a bit of a turning point for the Wallabies. I think it reignited their uh, the des- desire for attack and, and gave the, them some yeah. confidence to, to run a little bit more with ball in hand. And then in terms of players, we've spoken about a big moment. What about a big player? Well, Taniel Tupo. I mean, that that's my player and my moment. He he's had a, a, a he had an, a massive effect. Not only just scrummed really well, he was showing that he could pretty much do anything in the back line that he needed to. Like he scored that. Well, he didn't end up crossing the line, but he was pretty instrumental in getting that intercept try. Uh, earlier in the game, there was a phase where two phases in a row, Taniel Tupo went into halfback. At one point, he has a beautiful left-to-right yes. pass. Next breakdown, he gets there and it's right-to-left and he's just doing it um, to show off. Tate McDermott sort of must have seen what he was doing and sort of stepped up and threw an intercept pass himself uh, in the ensuing breakdown. So Taniel Tupo is keeping all the backs on their toes at the moment. Lockie, who did you, um, as who he, do you think As he out? should. <laughs> yeah, that's a big nine jersey, tell you what, trying to squeeze him into one. Um, I, I thought the, the player in the moment were wrapped up in one, and that was Big Willie Skelton. I know there's been a fair bit of chat about him coming in as skipper, and we've had our own debates um, about whether he's the right person for it, but I thought he had a great captain's knock, honestly. It was very much the Will Skelton of La Rochelle mode, and he was used as a really effective battering ram up the middle. And then the concern that we flagged last week about our more being ineffectual both in attack and defence he was rolling some of those malls by himself and smashing through the middle. He just had a barnstorming game, I thought, from him. So that was really great to see. And even in the pregame coverage, you could hear him and how vocal he was in the huddle. It was it was aggressive. There was a good amount of cussing, and he was really <laughs> galvanizing the unit. Everyone looked really engaged and switched on. And I love to see that. I love to see that. You've got what a how big is he? About a 9, 10, 11 foot and 145 kegs trotting around. He becomes that figurehead, which is really exciting to see. So I think that particularly in the second half as we started to struggle and he turned the screws, he started to turn the screws at set-piece time. And that was really good to see because along with a sharp goal kicker, you need big bodies to disrupt and dominate set-piece. And we got that from Big Willie. I think this was, what What was the stat? The largest pack that's ever been put out in a Rugby World Cup game mm. um, at 960 kilograms, I believe it was, and 962 two, or 964. I think it was two kilos from the heaviest ever. I think it was 962 is the heaviest insane. ever, and we were 960. Yeah. I think it might wow, be the heaviest in World Cup history, but yeah. it was not the heaviest ever. <laughs> Yeah, I think you just get a couple of the forwards to eat another burger before the game or something like that, just so you can like definitely crack that, crack that on record. That would be amazing. All right, Em, who is your kind of big player of the match? And then I'll jump in after you. 
Um, I'm going to stick with uh, Ben Donaldson at the back of the field. I think yep. he really inserted himself after all the sort of conversation around him before the game. Should he be the fullback? You know, I, I do think it was a hard hard deal for um, Kellaway not to not to feature, but in saying that you need to have a kicker on the field and he proved himself. I know he had first miss of the game but in the first penalty, but he, sorry, conversion, he... He stepped up. I think he played a really good game. He was really instrumental in in some cover tackles and some great defensive work. Um, and I guess my moment of the game, I think I'm going to go for a little bit of a different perspective, but my moment of the game was when Taniella was over the try line and turned around to the ref and said, no, nah, I knocked mm. that on. I think that's like if there's a moment in a, in a team where you can just be really proud to to be part of that country, like that moment, I was like, I think, like, you you can say, oh, what an idiot. No one ever admits that. But to me, that's such a good standard to say, yep, we're Australian. We're here to be fair. We're here to be good. But we'll be truthful. And that is something that, like, I don't know. I just, it it was a nice element to be like, no, I didn't score it. Don't worry about looking for a replay. Bye. Yep. Honest. If anything, he was probably kicking himself a little bit because he could have given himself a two-minute water break while the TMO reviewed it. Angle, angle, angle. Yeah, (laughs) and I knocked it on. True, true. But, you know, maybe maybe it was part of the game plan to run them off their feet at the beginning of the game and and take control and we were in a dominant position, so why not keep going? Exactly. So I thought it was was a good moment in the game. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, And it's interesting looking at the fitness because you mentioned earlier, Em, how the – the bench probably didn't have the impact that they wanted to. And and I would agree in a, in that broad sense, because I don't think it was fitness in the heat that essentially let the Aussies down in that second half, but it was just the execution, um, particularly as they unloaded the bench and we didn't have any dedicated locks on the bench as well. So our line out went to poop in the second half. We lost three in a row at the tail end of the game, which is just really, really poor. Um, but the player that I just want to highlight is uh, Mark Nalonganitawase. I thought he was excellent again he's just made for the international stage and there was this really great comment from michael hooper on the stand sport coverage where uh, when you're doing a crossfield kick to mark it's not as though it's a low percentage play he actually can get up and retrieve them the majority of the time and so it was really well used to either disrupt the georgian defensive players going up for the ball or to actually just regain possession immediately. And he also had the capacity, knowing to us, to kind of land and then get the offload away meaningfully as well, not just chucking it behind, but actually getting it into the hands of the supporting player. Um, and so I'm looking forward to seeing that evolution continue within our game because it's not, seen, it's not since Izzy Folau that we've had that cross-kick uh, weapon in our arsenal. And we saw them uh, try to do that with Suivunavalu in the second half as well, but it just went that little bit too far beyond. So it's good. It's, it's really nice to see that kind of variation and that the willingness of Carter Gordon and Ben Donison at times as well, chiming in from 15 to put in those kicks. But Lockie, here's a really big question for you, mate. We've got Fiji coming up. Uh, who are you putting at 15? That's tough. I think at this point you would still keep Donaldson for cohesion. If this is a partnership that you want to develop with your 110 as Carter Gordon and Dono's got his kicking boots on, that's something that I'd like to see um, continue. But I think it needs to be balanced because, as you alluded to before, the bench was strange. Yep. It was really strange. So you've got Lafaketti running around, largely a specialist 12 who can cover 13, and then a specialist right winger who's only played one game on the left wing, uh, which was that last one in France, and then no traditional fullback cover 
excluding Dono. So it was a strange kind of mix. I'd love to see um, uh, Kells get a shot in the 23 jersey and lock that in for this. And if it means big minutes, then so be it. Because you have a good attacking threat in combination if you're able to cycle through Carter, through Donna and through Kells and use that spine fluidly. Um, so I think that needs to change because carrying a specialist wing and a specialist 12 against Fiji, I don't think we're going to get much pay from that. So I think Kells has a big role to play against Fiji. But as we mentioned before, like there's going to be mass changes, especially with Tate out of action. I'm a little bit concerned with Andrew Kellaway slotting in as a replacement fullback uh, purely for the the way we saw in this game. Ben Donaldson took a lot of pressure off Carter Gordon and stepped in at fly half a number of times and was directing play a fair bit, took away the kicking duties, was tactically kicking in field a little bit better, particularly in the first half than Carter was. Uh, that allowed Carter to ease himself into the game. I feel like if we had someone like Andrew Kellaway back there that isn't a playmaker, doesn't have the experience leading a backline around from 10, like Donaldson has. He's played both for the Waratahs this season. I just don't know if the, that Carter is able to exert himself back into the game like he did this week. I think the fact that Donaldson took so much pressure off Carter's shoulders allowed him to settle and to like throw that pass for the, the final try to Donaldson near on full time. Um, Andrew Kellaway for mine, as good as he is as a fullback and as good as he is as utility backup option, he's not played any fly half. And I just don't know if he would be able to step in and, and be as effective replacement for him. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting thoughts there. Uh, and what are you seeing as big changes for Fiji? Obviously we're going to have, um, Tate McDermott out. So are you thinking there will be starting with Nick White or will Isaac finds Leilawasa step into the starting nine jersey? I hadn't really thought so much about that, but I actually, when you mentioned it just earlier, I think Isaac coming in as, as a starter is, it's a big call. It's a very big call, but I, I do, I kind of, it's something that Eddie would do, right? Like it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I think that's almost exciting if he, you know, I don't know how he plays under pressure as much as, as anyone else, because he hasn't played in this stage for, for long enough. But I mean, Eddie seems to have a sink or swim sort of mindset. So let's see him. Let's see him swim. Let's see him start and keep Nick White on the bench because he's not. I don't think his partnership, Nick and um, Carter Gordon's partnership, has the same gel. So, and I have no idea about Isaac and, and Carter. So maybe that'll be fabulous too. <laughs> maybe it will. Who who knows what goes on in the minds of Eddie Jones? None of us really. But uh, what other changes do you expect to see or do you think we'll see basically the same 23 maybe with the 20, like number 23 change? Yeah, I think number 23 change would be would be great. I'd love to definitely see Kellaway step into the 23 jersey. Um, Forwards-wise, I mean, we don't have a lot of other options. I'd love to see Slipper in on the bench, but I, I'm, yeah. is he... I'm not sure. I believe he's meant to be available and yeah, uh, I, Nick Frost should be available as well coming back from, I yeah. think it was an ear injury or something. Yeah. <laughs> not a cauliflower. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd love to see both of them on the bench. I think we just we need a little bit more experience um, in that front row particularly. I think the, the boys did a good job coming off the bench, but I think adding Slipper there will just give a little bit more reassurance and support to that front row combo. Um, through the transition and then when they 
and then it would be nice to have a lock on there too. Yep, agreed. Lockie, do you think there'll be beyond the 23 jersey, the nine, and maybe the lock and front row change? I mean, any other? Do you think Lange Gleeson will remain on the bench and Rob Leota? I mean, it's a very, very interesting um, bench that, yeah, Eddie Jones has gone for in this first game. Will he repeat that in the second? Yeah, that was a funny one too, seeing two back rowers, a specialist six and a specialist eight cover. I mean, I mean, and this is exactly the kind of situation that lends itself to a utility like a Pete Samu or even someone like a Jed Holloway who have been able to cover multiple positions. And it's interesting to see how that back row is addressed. Do we have a specialist 20? Do we stack it with a couple of second rowers, maybe someone who's a variable and can play six like a Tommy Hooper? So maybe they get cycled through as well. I could see a world in which someone like a Rob Liotta gets a run at six to start against Fiji to try and bring a bit more punch through the line and then a Tom Hooper can provide cover for lock in six off the bench. But um, it's, it's a funny one because this is so crucial. We've done the job now against George. We've backed the bonus point, but these, this is one of our knockout games, essentially. It's yeah. against a hot Fiji time. By the time this goes to air, I think we'll know the result of the Fiji-Wales game. And regardless of how that goes, it's essential for us to get a job done against Fiji and get it done well. So it's a big week coming up. It definitely, definitely is. And so um, one of the things that I like to do is put everybody on the spot with zero preparation. So you're going to have to tip this game and by how much. Okay, so uh, Mitch, we'll start with you. And then Em, you're up after. Let's go, Mitch. Uh, I'll go Wallabies by three. I think it's going to be a tight. It'll be three or five. Yep. Okay, tight, tight, tight. Em? I was going to go Wallabies by eight. Yeah, very nice. Lucky. Wallabies by 20. 20. Ooh. 20. I got a good feeling. I've got a good feeling now. I'm not a why. It's totally unfounded, but I'll stick with it. You've it's a lack of sleep. Why not 21? So it could be this gap. 20, 21. We'll pop it up a little. Yeah, there's a miss kick in us. <laughs> Three tries. Three tries. Um, for me, I will go by 12. Wallabies by 12. Um, I just can't tip against them at this point. So Wallabies by 12. What a surprise for Aussies to tip the Wallabies to win. Okay, so as promised, ladies and gentlemen, we divided the pools up between uh, Mitch, Lockie and myself, and we're going to do a quick recap. Now, just so everybody listening knows, we are recording this Sunday night, so we don't have a full kind of round of matches that we're able to go through. So there will only be um, two games for pool A, one for pool B and one for pool D. So to start with, Mitch, can you please take us through Pool A, which you were in charge of? Fantastic. So Pool A has had their two biggest games of the weekend run and done so far. So we had the Rugby World Cup opening ceremony take place Friday night in France or early Saturday morning here in in Australia. Uh, I don't know if we're calling this an upset, but 27-13 to France in the opening ceremony. Now, a lot of people did tip France, but I don't think as many people tipped it by this type of margin. Uh, Lockie, we'll start with you. What was your initial thoughts of that game? And uh, did it live up to expectation? Deep satisfaction is how I felt after seeing uh, the Kiwis get dusted. And I think I tipped it by three or four, the French to get it done. But what impressed me most, and Em, I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well, was how badly the All Blacks pack got monstered by the French. From from one, th- one through to eight, and especially six, seven, eight, um, Crow, uh, Olivon, and Aldred were immense. 
and they just rolled them because of the late withdrawal of Sam Kane and Papali'i going into um, the back row starting. It was quite a small back row by international all-black standards and the French just gave them an absolute rinsing all day. What, what did you make of that matchup, Em? Yeah, I thought, firstly, the game was unreal. What a perfect way to start a World Cup. Like, the the crowd were unbelievable, and I think they will genuinely be the 16th man on the, the field for this whole World Cup that France plays in. Um, I thought that, yeah, the the thing with France, the, the French forward pack, is they are so relentless. They tackled solidly all game. They let very little through the middle and when they carry they carry through they get their arms through and the ball through the contact which means that the defensive team is constantly moving backwards so New Zealand are always on the back foot and they can't control the speed of the game and I think that that's where ultimately France just just kept kept the front the foot on the pedal they kept pushing New, New Zealand backwards so they were eventually just going to wear them out and they did yep it was just and an amazing start to the tournament, particularly with Rico Ioani's burst through the middle and basically the first attacking play of the game. He actually was a monster at 13. I thought he he had one of his best games for the All Blacks, um, unfortunately just in a losing side for him. Uh, I personally reveled in New Zealand's defeat because my um, headmaster at school, my boss, is a massive Blues and Kiwis fan. And so we were having a few choice texts the following morning <laughs> when 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 the result came through. But that was that was enjoyable from my perspective. Mitch, what what did you enjoy and take away from this game, mate? I think the thing for mine, uh, watching this game on replay on Saturday morning, didn't get up for the um, three a.m. kickoff or whatever time crazy time on Saturday morning. Uh, I was expecting New Zealand to just do something essentially, like. Not that they didn't do anything in this game, but we've come to know that New Zealand hang in with teams and they hang in and they hang in and they hang in and it gets to like that 60th minute and then the elastic breaks and then they run in three or four tries and the game really opens up and it just runs away with it. But we didn't see that. France kept with them. France uh, was putting them under a lot of scoreboard pressure. New Zealand did what New Zealand and the All Blacks do so well as they scored their tries in the second minute and the 43rd minute in the right before or after halftime, those championship minutes, that's when they took advantage of, of the French. But outside of that, they didn't look like coming close to scoring tries and they didn't always make the right decisions. You could tell that they were starting to get rattled and they didn't look as composed as we've come to expect from an All Blacks team in the past. That yellow card to Will Jordan, for mine, was the turning point. From that point, when they went down 14 men, France just ran away with it. Uh, Ando, what was your thoughts on, first of all, the card? And um, is this is discipline something that New Zealand now need to really focus on leading into the rest of this World Cup? Well, the, the card in my mind was completely fair. I mean, it, in, I thought it was a yellow card. I didn't think it deserved more than that. Um, I thought it was 
well officiated or adjudicated with in that moment. Had absolutely no problems with it, despite it happening to Will Jordan, who is one of my favourite non-Australian rugby players in the world. So that was disappointing. Um, but the thing that really stood out to me was the French um, being so willing to play without the ball and back their defence, their Sean Edwards coach defence. So they kicked 76% of their possession, which was a full 16% higher than during the summer series that they just played in. So it just shows how intent they were in playing in the right areas of the field and how willing they were to let the All Blacks attack and just know that they weren't going to be getting through, which is really, really impressive. I don't think there's many defences in world rugby that would be confident enough to give New Zealand the ball for vast majorities of the game and just simply say, go for it. We've we, we know we're going to back our defence every single time. And they did, and it worked. And so I think you saw, funnily enough, like, well, I find it funny because, I mean, it's the Kiwis, but they seem to run out of ideas and attack. They just didn't seem to know how to get through this defensive line. So they end up just going for up and unders, trying to play it out of their own half. And because of the French tracking back, Will Jordan got himself into trouble a few times where he either got pushed into the legs of the jumping player or he kind of collided a couple of times in iffy circumstances. It just looked like they didn't really know how to break through this French defence. Lockie, moving forward for the rest of the pool stages particularly, France, this is a statement game from them. They've come out in the opening game. They've put a lot of points on New Zealand when a lot of people were expecting New Zealand to to come away with the victory. How does France maintain this momentum now when you consider they're coming up against Uruguay, Namibia and Italy before they get to the end of the pool? Rotation. Rotation is the easiest way for mine because these players who've you know watched the Match Day 23 uh, opening night, 80,000 at the Stade de France, absolutely heaving, beating the All Blacks, they're hungry now. They're hungry and they want to get involved. So I think you need to lean into that full squad mentality. And I, obviously, we're going to see mass rotation against smaller Tier 2 nations, but that's going to become a motivator now because this is their shot now against the Uruguays and against the Namibia to earn a spot, to earn a crack at Italy because so much hinges on that. And we know that the French are going to face you know, a top five team regardless of how this panned through the quarterfinals. So managing those bodies and keeping the key players like the Aldritz and the DuPonts and the Ramos, keeping them fresh. And it also gives an opportunity. So we saw the pay from having someone who can kick it from 55 out and 50 out on those defensive turnovers. And that's why they were so happy to kick it away. But someone like a Melvin um, Jaminet now should be getting a chance to play a full game. And can he bank eight from eight off the tee? You know, what kind of pressure would he be under if he has to jump in late? So this is the time to start doing that. And I think that feeds the hunger and the momentum through the rest of their pool campaign. Em, how do you think New Zealand bounce back from this? Do you think that this lights a fire in their belly and we're going to expect 100-point victories for the next three games? Well, I think it's an interesting one because we all thought after New Zealand losing just before the World Cup that we were all in for trouble for the World Cup because New Zealand bounced back from a loss. We didn't see that this week. And I, I, I'm sure that they are cool, calm and collected and they're in their change rooms or they're back in their hotel saying it's one loss. We're still fully in a position to get out of our pool. And we all know at World Cups, it's once you're in the top eight, anything can happen. They only need to, they need to play well enough to be in the top two to leave their pool and then it's another story. So I think this is something you dust, you dust yourself off with. 
New Zealand don't face being in this position often, so it might be an uncomfortable place for them. And that's that will be the hardest part is that mental battle as a team. Do you start fracturing inside and think, thinking it's someone else's fault? Is there frustration? The list goes on. But ultimately, I don't think this is the worst situation New Zealand have ever experienced, although it is the first loss they've ever had in a pool game in a World Cup. So there is there is bad to it, but I think ultimately we can't underestimate New Zealand as a as a rugby nation and we know that they're going to play some really good rugby for the rest of this World Cup. As much as I know we'd all as Australians love to sit here and gloat that New Zealand have lost their first ever uh, World Cup <laughs> pool game in Australia, have got the victory, we should move on. So the other game in Pool A was Italy over Namibia. Now the final score in this game was uh, 59, is that 52, 52 sorry. 52 to eight, Yeah, I've got a little thing that comes up and covers the score on my, on my end. Uh, 52 <laughs> to, to eight in, in this game. For those that caught it, pretty one-sided for most of it. Some fairly soft tries uh, led in by Namibia. Uh, great to see Richard Hardwick from the Rebels out there giving it his all. And, um, and running out there. But what the, the outcome of this victory is that Italy is now sitting with a bonus point top of the pool. So uh, maybe not the outcome people were expecting after the first weekend of, of rugby in Pool A, that we have Italy sitting at the top with a bonus point in France and New Zealand, or New Zealand in second last at the moment, um, down the bottom of the table. But interesting to see how the final game goes uh, between Uruguay and... Uh, actually, no, that's that's a, a draw now. So um, that's all for Pool A for this week. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how we go next week. Uh, I, I am kind of worried to see how the games with uh, Namibia and Uruguay go against both France and New Zealand. I'm expecting some pretty big scores in the coming weeks. Um, let's move across into Pool B, and I believe this is you, Lockie. Yes, Pool B. Um, and this was a pretty tough watch, to be honest. Um, I was back, back, back in the Oaks as much as I could. And the main thing is that they got the first try. So all the Irishmen and Irishmen had packed out the stands. You could hear a pin drop after Gabriel Rapano scored against the run of play. Second minute, I think. And um, where I was watching at the clubhouse down in Tassie, it was absolutely popping off. We were all on Team Romania. Uh, and that's about where the highlights ended, unfortunately. Ireland are number one in the world and they showed it. It was clinical. It was brutal. And if you had many of them on your fantasy team, uh, like some of us did, uh, then you're a very happy man. Um, Johnny Sexton came back in, a couple of tries, kicked well. Bundy Key was a monster uh, in the 12 jersey. He was just untackleable, undefendable at times. Uh, and a couple of big shifts from the piggies as well. Peter Omani got two tries. Ty Byrne got two tries. And ultimately, it was a bit of a walk in the park for Ireland. So they pulled a lot of players off early. Um, rested the people like the Johnnies. And um, I think that's the the first of, and it's the first and easiest game that Ireland's going to have in the pool. We've got to remember that they've got Tonga, Scotland and South Africa all to come over the next month. So you'd expect to see them bank a bonus point in this one, um, but it's all, all uphill from here for Ireland. Um, did anyone else get a chance to catch this game or have any notes on it? Yeah, for me, um, Bundyaki just stepping up again. You would you would expect a player of his ability, size, power, and speed as well to dominate in a game against opponents who, honestly, as plucky as they were, are not at the same level of professionalism and conditioning. Um, and he he stepped up. He had something like twenty carries throughout the game. I was just looking at it. Uh, twenty carries for two hundred and forty meters 
which is a ridiculous stat for a centre. Uh, so he he played incredibly well, and it was just kind of good to see him get back to some of his bruising best as well. Well, let's keep moving. So we had Pool C, which is the Wallabies pool, and they are sitting top of the table with a bonus point in first place. Uh, we do have the big game between Wales and Fiji kicking off tomorrow morning Australian time. Well, I shouldn't say tomorrow morning for whenever oh, yeah. you're listening to this. Yep. It should have already happened by the time the pod's out. So um, interesting to see how that one goes, and that's going to have big permutations on the draw for the Wallabies moving forward, whoever gets the victory there. Um, let's finish up on Pool D. Ando, take it away. Mate, I'm excited to talk about what was one of the most boring games you could possibly watch in a Rugby World Cup. Okay, now it gives me almost as much joy as of New Zealand losing to talk about how boring England were. The only problem was they didn't lose. So unfortunately, George Ford is immense and is an amazing player. And uh, Robbie from Squid Rugby has been talking about him for years as one of the best fly halves going around. And he kicked three drop goals and nearly all of his penalties as well. To he he scored. Did he score all 27 points for, for England? Um, he, he was incredible. But the fascinating thing about this game was that they were just so out of ideas or bereft of ideas in attack, both England and Argentina, that all they could do was take long-range penalty kicks and drop goals. It was really, really weird. Um, so I, that, I just found it an odd game to watch. I didn't think it was a particularly good game. Um, and I'm actually pretty disappointed with Argentina. I was hoping for more from them because I wanted them to knock England out of the whole competition within the within the group stages because that, again, just would make me happy. Em, um, <laughs> did you have a chance to catch any of this game? I watched some highlights. I didn't get up to watch this one, but I just, what a boring game of rugby. And even English supporters were saying the same thing, and I think that's saying something because they're so proud that they would never admit to something like that normally. But in the same breath, it's a World Cup and World Cups yep. are about winning games. It's not about the bonus. It is about the bonus points in the pool stage, but it's not. It's about wins. You only need to come top two. They have secured a win because to be able to do a drop goal from halfway, yes. it's kind of unstoppable. Like that is, that is a ridiculous ability. Like we're, we're talking like NFL style kickers to bring onto the field purely to be able to kick. Like he... It wouldn't matter if he couldn't tackle at this stage. He did exactly what he needed to do, which is kick goals. And you got to you got to sort of give credit when credit's due. That is an incredible skill, and he's played himself into the team based off his kicking ability. It's an interesting tactic that I I wonder if we'll see more of as this World Cup progresses. We've already seen, particularly in that uh, the opening game, France and New Zealand, that kicking was such an important part of the tactics by both teams. Not necessarily kicking at sticks but just kicking in general. Some of the, uh, the lesser Tier 2 nations in this World Cup should take a note out of what England did here. Scoreboard pressure is massive. And if you've got teams that aren't able to break the, the advantage line and aren't able to carry the ball over uh, and make busts in the middle of the field, get a kicker that can just drop it from anywhere and you can potentially um, hang in there. It's not something as Australian fans that we generally embrace, the idea of, dropping, kicking field goals. And I can remember the last World Cup in that Wales game um, in Tokyo when, uh, I can't remember who it was for Wales though, but second or third minute, first entry into the, in our half, they dropped a field goal. And I'm just like, what are you doing? 
This oh, isn't how you play yeah. rugby. Uh, I was priestling that bastard. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it, it goes to show that it is effective. And, and I think it was one of the, the Squidge boys that did say online that drop goals are essentially an overpowered form of the game that is criminally underutilized so far. 100%. Because I think there's just that massive stigma around, oh, that's not how you play rugby. No, no, no. And especially for Australian fans after the, after the 2003 World Cup, it's just like, no, we, we hate drop goals. Especially we didn't bring that English up, Andrew. It's still too uh, it's Oh, too sorry. Soon. Still too soon. Too soon. Still too soon. Too soon. Um, but, I mean, the thing about George Ford's kicks was that he was clearing the crossbar. by He could have gone back another five or ten metres from kind of 52, 53 metres and still made it over from there. It was, it was immense. And so, look, I would be happy with the 17-point win over Argentina. I really would. And so I think the English fans need to be happy about that. And I, I do find it really disappointing that Argentina weren't up for this game, which is really surprising because they have looked pretty good under Michael Checker over the last couple of years. So the fact that they had such an insipid display in their first match is really, really disappointing. But honestly, that's it. There isn't anything else to talk about. Um, Japan versus Chile is going live. It's Japan, Chile, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yep. that's going live in about oh, 15 minutes from As now we speak. I'm talking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, As we speak, it's We don't have any updates yet so far, and that's, that's basically it for this round. So, Paul D, done and dusted. Fantastic. Well, I think that wraps up our chat on the Rugby World Cup for this point um, of the opening weekend. A lot of rugby still to come um, in the early hours of the next two days. So do make sure you've got your Stan Sports subscription. Do make sure you're catching the minis and the highlights there. They're doing some really interesting things with the the broadcast um, this year. So do make sure you get involved and, and get amongst that. Let's move across now into our Wallaroos update. Now, Ando, I think you're driving this part. Yes, I am. And again, Em, it is awesome to have you here so we can talk all things all things Wallaroos. We love, love supporting the girls as they get amongst it. So you've just been up at Ballymore for the weekend, I believe. What was the focus and how are the new facilities at, new, at the newly refurbished stadium? Yeah, the, the stadium and the facilities are unreal. It's so uh, exciting to see uh, an inverted commas, home of women's rugby, but really it's the home of the Reds and we're excited for that too. Everyone needs updated facilities. The Tars got them this year at the beginning of the year, and the Reds, like let's, the Reds' home is is bound to be what it was built for, and it's great that they have considered the women in this build as well and been able to give us a bit of extra space. And it did feel a little bit like a home. There's a lot of pictures of girls on the cha- on the sides of the walls, which is lovely. Um, but just great facilities, great gym. Good recovery and lovely to be at Ballymore. You know, there's a lot of history on it, to the field itself. Um, we were there just for a three-day camp, getting as many members of the wider squad together as possible because ultimately when you spend all of your time in state-based programs, it's hard to, to connect. You come into camp normally in the, le- the week leading up for a test match and you're all focused on the te- test match. There's not a lot of opportunity to ask questions and go through things as a whole squad. So it was really great to be able to come together, get a bit of clarity on a few things that we've been working on whilst we've been apart um, and have the time to just bond 
on and off the field in that sense of like just reminding each other how how you play scrubbing up on some some lineup bits and pieces and some technical stuff that we can do together so it was all in all a really great weekend of rugby and this is in the build-up to the second match in the O'Reilly Cup, which is the annual competition against the Kiwis, uh, as well yeah. as the World 15 comp, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, per- perfect. So, so, we so-, go- so, no, you're right. You go, you go, no, you go. You're about to keep going. I was interrupting you. I was just going to say we go away basically on the 22nd, I think, of September. We We come together and we play on the 30th of September in Waikato. Brilliant. So you go then from there about a month later, I believe, you're going to be back in New Zealand for the three-game series in the World 15, playing against England first, then France, and then Wales. They're three, I'm sorry, yeah, Wales. They're three of the best teams in world rugby. It's a pretty incredible competition that you're a part of. Um, what, is, what does it mean to be a part of this with the Wallaroos? I think it's really exciting. I think WXV as a competition principle with Div 1, Div 2 and Div 3 is great because it means we're not playing against the same teams based off location. To have that opportunity to play the top three teams in Div 1 of WXV, sorry, the top three teams of the Six Nations versus the top three teams of Pac-4 just mm. means that we're not and we don't cross over with the other teams that played Pac-4. We only cross over with the with the girls from Six Nations. So to play a different style of rugby, we've only played England once whilst I've been a Wallaroo and we haven't played France in a long time. So to be able to play that calibre of game I think it's a it's a really great opportunity to see where we stand on the field uh, against some of the best. And if you want to be the best, you've got to beat the best. So it's a great place to start and we'll see where we stand at the end of October. <laughs> the last time that the girls played against England, um, it was in pretty horrific conditions in the World Cup. And um, you had one of the most iconic tries scored for the Wallaroos with your incredible glide across the water-filled turf there. Absolutely awesome photos, which I do note is the um, is a cover shot for the Life of Chance podcast. Um, but look, it, it was a difficult game for the Wallaroos, and going up against uh, New Zealand and France as well are going to be difficult games. If if we're just being completely honest, we've got hope and faith, but it's going to be hard. Uh, what needs to change, or how? What do the girls need to be able to do in order to overcome those challenges that they're facing against these top tier teams? It's a good question, and I think if I had the answers, we'd we'd win. It'd be it'd be pretty simple. Um, I'll call up Jay and, and have a chat with him. I, wish I, <laughs> I think I think mainly like there is a huge psychological battle that we have to go through because we know poor us. We're not professional. We're playing against professional teams, but it that also does pay on field because when we turn around and we haven't worked together for as long, you can't, it's really hard to put 80 minute games on. And as a Wallaroo squad, this year is a prime example. We, we really struggle to put a performance for 40 minutes before we get into the sheds. And then it's that, as you were talking before, those golden minutes, the championship minutes on either side of the halftime, that 10 minutes before and that 10 minutes after we really struggle to finish a half and start that second half. And then when we struggle to start that second half, we also struggle to finish the second half. So we, there was a lot of the game where we are not in control 
And that's something we're working on with our fitness and our, our training at the moment is how to play under fatigue to be able to continue to execute when we're tired. Um, the other big thing for us, I think, is ball in hand. Like we've got to play mm. field positions and play that smart. But when we've got the ball in our hand, we need to be better with how we use it. And I think that's just that's trust and belief because we're actually really good rugby players. We just either are A, too tired from defending for too long or we just don't back ourselves. And I think that's something that we're trying to work on at the moment is creating that 3D attacking picture. Um, so there's three options sort of all the time and that's that's it's hard to do but when we've done it at training, man, it feels good. So I know we've got it in us. It's just about the execution. And for you personally, with your time with the Harlequins this year over in the Premiership, does that give you a little bit of insight into what some of the Red Roses might bring in that test impactful in um, World 15 in a few weeks? Yeah, I mean, it does. To be honest, I think it's it was the best experience for me because I realised they're not actually any better individually than a lot of the girls in the Wallaroos either. It is just that they spend more time being professional, so they're used to working together, they're used to the drilling, they they are, as a team of individuals, better. So across the board, they're better than us. But I think, and I said it to our coach at Harlequins, when Australia ends up investing properly in the game, we're going to beat England. Like, they are so beatable. Which out we're coming. just not quite, yeah, we're just not on the same plat- like, platform at the moment. So it's a hard mm. battle because we're not, we're, we're apples and pears at the moment and it's, it is difficult. It's not undoable. But when we're apples and apples, watch out. That is just incredibly exciting. And something um, that actually ties in really well to kind of where I just wanted to direct the conversation and then probably finish up for the evening is some of the, some of the really important conversations that have come up in the wake of the Matilda's success in the FIFA Women's World Cup. And so we saw um, a lot of comments and statements being put out there by key Walroos and Super W players across the women's game, just talking about some of the challenges that the women face within Australian rugby. So do you mind just kind of summarising that message and what was attempting to be communicated there? Yeah, so we all posted as a group, we we decided that it was appropriate to post a, a, a unanimous message on all of our socials. And the sentiment is is not it wasn't supposed to be picking on any individual it's not a reaction to anything that we've seen it was supposed to be a statement of we're frustrated <laughs> we know that there's an opportunity out there and an appetite for women's sport in australia so at what point does rugby australia have to just say yes we're going to back it fully like we know that they support us, but we don't feel it all the time. And I think it was just, you know, a pile of things that have just built up over time and, and the girls got frustrated. And when you see success in other sport, you know that we're so close to it that it just felt like the right time to sort of stir the stir the ship a little bit, stir the cup and and see what what would happen and we did get we ended up having some conversations and we're still in conversation with rugby australia along with rupa and i'm not going to go into the detail of those conversations because that's obviously not for anyone else to to know about just yet but 
the sentiment of the conversation has been really mm. great. It's been really positive. Phil has been fabulous in his communication with uh, a group of us that have been having those conversations. And I think ultimately our message is we want to be we want to be perceived and we want to be seen as an equal opportunity. We're not saying that means that we want to be paid equally yet. It would be lovely, but we're also not stupid to the financial landscape and the, and where Rugby Australia is at. That's not our ask. We're not being unrealistic. We just want to be seen in the media, perceived the same way that they or presented the same way you present boys. Um, yep. And that's that you know, is a much more dumbed down version. But I think the the main message is we want the environment in Rugby Australia to be we have two 15s teams, men's and women's, not we've got yep. the Wallabies and then, oh, yeah, we've got those Wallaroos, we've got to sort of make it look even. We don't want kit that has all men's sizes with Wallabies whited out and Wallaroos stuck over the top. We don't want that. We want to be treated like we're serious. We want socials to be presented and we want the communication so we know what's going on because we know that Rugby Australia are doing things for the Wallaroos, but it's really hard to celebrate it or feel like it's being done for us when we don't know what's happening. So the biggest thing has been communication, um, which has already developed positively um, so far. And then the perception of how we are, who we are and how we're presented to the public. And that's also, I've seen a massive shift in the last couple of weeks as well. We just need to see it continue. I'm loving that. And that, that seems to be um, a really positive step. I mean, we did have the announcement, I think the day after all this started to, to go down of um, Jamie Fernandez being appointed as the new women's high performance Amy, manager. Yeah. Um, yeah. which, uh, sorry, is it Hemi? Hemi, yep. Yeah, Hemi. yeah so sorry. the J is an H. Yep, yep, yep my good. bad. Um, yeah, really so ha having their appointment into that role, which um, at the time, if you didn't know that that had been something that Rugby Australia had been working on, just looked like a reactionary thing. Um, mm -hmm. But there'd just been, as you said, so little, so, so yeah, little communication that it did look reactionary. And, and it's great to hear from you that that is what's happening because it's been completely a media silence from RA in a public sense. Um, so again, that kind of just, I guess, in a way speaks to what you're talking about, how communication is important and, and making public communication about the value of women's rugby, not only as a statement, but also then borne out in actions moving forward. Um, so let's let's see if the proof's in pudding and, and, and hope it continues and, and is positive moving forward. Um, but boys, was there anything else you wanted to ask on this topic? Yeah, I just wanted to sort of speak about from a fan's perspective that we feel the frustrations for the players as much as, as you do as well. I mean, when we look at the way that the Wallab Wallabies were gifted or given a send-off to the World Cup, it was publicly announced that they were having a fan meet-and-greet opportunity probably a silly time to have it. And I've spoken to Lockie around that off the air at three o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon when everyone's at school. But the fact is that there was access and there was public announcement that this, the Wallabies players are here and come and meet them and get jerseys signed and get photos and stuff. The Wallaroos had their going away party or send off at Luna Park last year before the World Cup, but it wasn't publicly announced and it wasn't sort of branded on socials. And as a Wallaroos fan, as a Sydney-based Wallaroos fan, I would have loved the opportunity to go there and meet some yep. of the girls and 
you know, get stuff signed, get photos, wish you the best as you go off to this tournament as well. So it's frustrating for us as well that we're not given the opportunity to celebrate you guys either. Um, and yeah, we will we'll keep backing you as much as we can on our platform. Uh, we just need RA to sort of support us in that push as well. So we really hope these next few months and years for the Wallaroos to um, see us move in a brighter, more positive direction. That's so appreciated. It's, it really is. And I think those, like those little things like the um, farewell are, are prime examples of how we as players feel that frustration too. So it's, it's little things that can be like the, our, our farewell wasn't a public event. It wasn't promoted because it wasn't an option. It was just for a close group of people, which, which is fine if that's, the, if that's the sort of the general statement we're doing private, private farewells. But, you know, it's not the same if a, two, a year later it's a completely different picture and we know that the budget hasn't got that much bigger this year. Mm. So Exactly. Yeah, I feel I feel like there's a lot more that could be said about this, but I think everything constructive at this point has already been said. <laughs> so we might leave it there and um, really, really recognise that this has been a great opportunity for a lot of the challenges that are facing women's rugby to be aired and spoken about. And hopefully, as you said, Em, hopefully... Um, with the conversations that have been ha happening with Phil War, that there can be a lot of positive growth because, I mean, you've got people that will be right behind the Wallaroos as much as they possibly can, out supporting the Super W teams as much as they possibly can. We just need RA to make sure it's a priority as well for the um, fans to be able to get there too. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's finish things there. We are now at about an hour into our first episode of the Rugby World Cup. It has been a good one. We've had a Wallabies win. We've had a lot of great rugby to talk about. And we've been joined by an absolute legend, M Chancellor. So M, can you just quickly go through, if people want to see more of you and your stuff, where would they find it? Uh, basically a one-stop shop. Instagram is basically my only connection with the outside world uh m underscore chance is my uh instagram and you'll also find everything you need about my podcast life of chance <laughs> podcast on my own instagram <laughs> have you got any plans really? for 2024 in the in the works yet are you well, should we see you in in waratah's colors again or um another stint in the premiership potentially um i do have some plans they haven't just been announced so I will keep them keep them close to my chest, but there should be something coming out in the next. Good try, Mitch. Yeah. Well, we look forward to <laughs> seeing you. We look forward to seeing you in a Wallaroos jersey soon, and um, we'll be following your journey, uh, your rugby journey, wherever it may be in 2024. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's been an awesome experience. Absolute pleasure. And now we're going to need to finish up. Otherwise, my children are going to burst through the doors into this room right now. I'm trying to hold one of them off the camera. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Have a wonderful week and we'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.